Lord, we thank you for the opportunities you give us. Thank you how you bless boldness and courage. And even there are times when we fall on our face and it doesn't go well and it doesn't go smoothly. And yet you are still honored even in our attempts as we depend upon you. And so we just pray for continued boldness and opportunity. Pray for my neighbor and just for opportunities to uh, speak to her more and even uh, just um, through adoption to be able to use that as a link to talk to others about the gospel and the adoption that you have are carrying out for us, Lord God. Um, part of it is done. The legal paperwork has been filed, and yet we've not yet been taken home, um, and so we long for that. Uh, thank you for Ken and just his boldness and the opportunity to speak to his physical therapist, who is a professing believer, and we just pray that you would grow this um, lady in grace and knowledge of you um, and um, just ask for that. I'll pray for our morning as we continue to talk about knowing you and what that means and what that looks like. Um, pray that you would bless our morning and prepare us also for the gathering happening at 1030, um, which is what we're here for, ultimately. Um, and we just pray that you would uh, bless this morning in your name. Amen. Oh, whoa. It got dark. I was like, I had my eyelids closed. I was like, why is it getting dark? Um, no, uh, Tony's going to help me because I've got some stuff on the screen for you to kind of help review some of the things we talked about last week. I know it can be hard just hearing it aud auditorially. So uh, I'm going to have some of the things we talked about last week and even this week up on the screen uh, in a while. But just to review, we're talking about knowing God. We're desiring as believers, as those who do know him relationally, um, those who have been foreknown by God, uh, those who have been rescued through Jesus Christ, who have a peaceful re relationship with him, we're desiring to know uh, him more notionally, but not just in the sense of knowing facts. We don't want to just stop at knowing facts. We do need to know facts. We do need to know truths about who God is, but we want those facts and those truths to transform our heart. That's that affectional knowledge uh, that we were talking about, which would ultimately lead to action, actional knowledge, knowing as a skill. So we've talked about that. We've talked about our sources of knowledge, even uh, especially from the scriptures, but even from uh, natural revelation, from the creation. Um, we've talked about how do we go about speaking about God in general, and we want to we take our cue from the language and the categories of scripture that God gives for us. And we said it's never wrong to speak of God in the way that scripture speaks of God as long as we are accurately interpreting any given text in context with the right hermeneutics. So... Uh, okay, and then last week we said, well, okay, we're, we're talking about God, uh, we're speaking about God, and maybe a good place to start is, what do we call God? In other words, how do we name God? How do we refer to God? And this brought us into the idea of titles and names, titles and names. And so I said, uh, let's, work through, um, let's work through some of these titles, and I kind of work from the most generic to the most uh, personal. That's kind of how I frame these. Uh, and so you can go to the next slide, Tony, if you want. So um, can you guys see that? Okay. Um, hopefully the fonts came through okay. Oh, I forgot there was a font they used that probably is not installed on my computer. Oh, it looks okay, though. Um, anyway, so this is our most generic title for God, emphasizing his deity, um, El, uh, Eloah, or most commonly, Elohim. And we said that that Elohim form is plural, but it's kind of this idea of um, the, he the plural in Hebrew can, form, can uh, give the idea of someone who's thoroughly characterized by, by what is said. So uh, God is the supreme God, right? In the New Testament, uh, the Greek word is theos, um, and our English translation is God. And that adequately represents uh, what we mean when we use this term. It's the generic title for God. It's the generic title for God. D 
deity. Okay? We also talked about, you can go to the next one, Pantocrator, which is a, um, a, uh, uh, a New Testament term. Uh, it's actually also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But uh, its translation is Almighty. It's the title for God that emphasizes his supreme power. And we looked at Revelation 15, 3 through 4, just to kind of do that. And remember in all of these, where it's not just, okay, what do we call God? But uh, we don't want these titles to just be, you know, like something we say. When we use them, we want to use them with respect. We want to use them with a sense of, wow, God is the Almighty God. He is the supreme God. And so there's reverence. There's affectional knowledge that comes along with these. We're not being mystical. We're just saying that we want to make sure when we use these titles for God, they're not just throwaway words. And so that's why we're going through this. It gives us some hints. The titles and names of God give us some hints as to his character. Not everything. Uh, we need more for, than just his titles to do that. But at least it gives us a starting point. Uh, okay, and next one, actually next two, uh, there's um, in the, we talked about in the Old Testament, there's this word Adonai, Adonai, which is uh, basically related to um, the, uh, the word for master or Lord, um, and so you're, uh, you go over into the, new, uh, the, the Greek, um, and the Greek form would either be kurios, or we talked about this other term despotes. But in any case, there's slight difference between the two, but in any case, we're talking about God's lordship, his mastery. Uh, this these titles emphasize God's authority, right? So we've got the generic title for deity. We've got um, God as almighty, his supreme, uh, talking about his power. And we've got God as lord or master, emphasizing his authority, his ownership, his lordship over all. Um, and so... Adonai, especially, and Kurios are going to be important for more of our discussion this morning. But this is what we talked about um, last week. Any questions or comments before we move into new territory this morning? Yes, Ken. I'm sorry, what's the Oh, uh, that's an abbreviation. So when you see, sometimes you'll see that in books you read or whatever after a verse, and that just means that verse and verses following. It's kind of a, um, what's the right word? It's kind of a lazy way to say that there's more in the, the following context. Uh, and so I get lazy sometimes and I just put FF. So kind of, yeah. Um, I, I forget what it stands for. I think it might stand for something. I have to look it up. But I just, in my mind, I just think of it as following. So it's 1827. Uh, yeah, 1827 and following. That's where God is going back and forth with, um, the Lord who has appeared to him about Sodom and Gomorrah and kind of bargaining. Um, but he's using this title of lordship, of mastery, to, to, you know, um, to show his deference, to show that he acknowledges God is his Lord, is his master, and he's, you know, he's being very respectful as he makes this um, request. Okay? So, um, good. Good question. Any other questions up to that point? Because that brings us up through where we were last week. Okay, so then um, today we want to talk about the next one, which is this word Shaddai. Uh, now, you've probably heard that before if you've been around church uh, in any, uh, any length of time. Uh, depending on your translation of the, um, the Old Testament, uh, you will see it transliterated. Um, so you've got uh, Shaddai or El Shaddai. So what would the L stand for? Do you remember? God. So... Uh, if you have El Shaddai, it's just saying God Shaddai. But we need to know what does Shaddai mean? What, is, what does that mean? 
Now, what's interesting about this, remember I said that we would come back to Pantocrator, is uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they translated, not all the time, I don't believe it was every single time, but often enough, they would translate Shaddai as Pantocrator. However, uh, when you look at the, um, the Hebrew behind it, it's a little bit, and even the, t- the context in which Shaddai is used, uh, it's a little bit questionable as to whether that's a very good translation. Translation is hard, um, and uh, is it, do you translate Shaddai as Almighty? That's probably how you're going to find it if it has been translated in the Old Testament. You're probably going to find it translated as Almighty, Okay. Um, however, there's good reason to think that it's a little bit different than just saying Almighty. Um, traditionally, like I said, it is rendered as Almighty One. However, there is some, um, some, uh, some work, I and mean, you can actually see this, we'll go to some passages here that show this, that a, maybe a better rendering would be the All-Sufficient One. The All-Sufficient One. Um, this uh, word and usually you know a word, like if you just look at one word, usually doesn't, a word doesn't mean anything by itself, does it? If you think about that. It has a range of meaning. Uh, it has a range of meaning. So think of words like rubber bands, right? Like it can't mean everything, but it has like a range of what it could possibly mean, right? So think of the word bored. If I say the word bored, what could that possibly mean? A whole bunch of things, including what? Just give me a couple. Yeah, yeah, there's different spellings even, right? So B-O-A-R-D versus B-O-R-E-D, right? So I could be talking a verb versus a noun and that sort of a thing. I bored a hole, bored a hole into something. I'm bored, um, meaning I'm, un- what's that? A board member, you know. So it's just a good example that a word, um, now we could, even, even when we have the same spelling, and that word has, you know, uh, for the same pronunciation, you have different spellings, uh, it can mean a lot of things. How do you lock it in? How do you know? Context. Context. The company a word keeps locks in what a word means. And that is also true um, when we understand this name for Shaddai. Uh, so let me kind of uh, make an argument for why maybe something like all-sufficient one would be a better translation. Okay? So we're going to go to some... Uh, you see this word Shaddai more often in Job, a lot in Job, uh, and in Genesis it starts to kind of not be used as much as you go later on through time. And there's, a, there's, there's some good reasons for that. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and go to Genesis. So its first usage is in Genesis 17.1. Now, you ladies from the Women's Bible Study on Tuesday, uh, you can um, help a little bit here. What is the context of Genesis 17? Yeah, David. Yeah, good. Specifically, which covenant? Yes, but uh, and so we call it covenant of circumcision, but really circumcision, and here at Friday night, Bible study folks can help out too. What is circumcision? It's a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And so they kind of become interchangeable in a sense, right? So you talk about circumcision as the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So when you're talking about the covenant of circumcision, really you're also at the same time talking about the Abrahamic covenant, okay? Abrahamic covenant. What's the Abrahamic covenant all about? Yeah, lad, seed, and blessing, right? Um, what do we mean by that? Uh, what, what gets, what are, that's just a shorthand way of kind of reminding us of what the covenant is about, 
But what, what is attached to those words, land, seed, and blessing, in the Abrahamic covenant? Uh, blessings and curses, yes, a little bit, but more, that's more Mosaic covenant. Um, d- just think of the patriarchs and this idea of land, seed, and blessing. What gets promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? Land, okay, yeah, so we got the land with its boundaries. Good. A specific place, a specific place. yeah. Yeah, so there's boundaries, there's borders, the land of Canaan, okay? So we got that. Uh, what about seed? What's that all about? What's that? Okay, so John, uh, Genesis, there we go, 17 does talk about Abraham being the father of all nations, but um, what does, uh, usually when we're talking about seed and the seed blessing with Abraham, uh, what are we talking about? Yeah, descendants, right? Children, lots of children, and one particular child who will be the serpent-crushing seed of the woman that's talked about in Genesis. Okay, so you got one particular seed, but a lot of children, too. Uh, and then blessing in general, uh, you know, uh, you, you could talk about uh, wealth even, and security, and things like this that would go along with blessing, okay? Blessing to the whole world. Yes, and, and blessing to the whole world, which goes back to that idea of him being the father of many nations, right? So, good, that's very good. Now, in that context, I just wanted to bring those concepts up to your mind, because the first use of El Shaddai comes in Genesis 17, 1. So someone read Genesis 17, 1. Okay, so El Shaddai is when he says God Almighty. So that's the English rendering of it. Um, and he goes on to talk about making his covenant with him. And we know from the Abrahamic covenant, a lot of that covenant is about having very physical, tangible blessings. So a land, a lot of offspring, um, and a blessing, which often has a tangible aspect to it in terms of wealth, um, security, etc. Okay? So even in this first use of El Shaddai, um, it is, or just Shaddai, it is connected with the Abrahamic covenant and those blessings, okay? Uh, you see this more clearly. Go ahead. It's also like correction for Abraham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's reminding Abraham of who he is. And really, if we go even with the translation all-sufficient one, then that matches, right? Because in 16, Abraham is like trying to manip... Yeah, yeah, manipulate. We use the word manipulate. Manipulate things and situations so that he gets the promise kind of on his own effort. Uh, But then God comes back to him like a long time later in 17 and says, I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the one who's going to provide you these things. And then he gives the promise of Isaac... Um, etc. Okay, you can see it more clearly. Uh, go to Genesis 28. So now we're into Isaac's, uh, yeah, Isaac's, uh, in the beginning of Jacob's kind of um, uh, life. Uh, look at Genesis. Um, so this is after uh, Jacob tricks Isaac. He gets the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing. Someone read Genesis 28, 1 through 3. 
Uh, actually, it's true four. Okay, so verse 3, we get the title again, Shaddai, right? God Shaddai, El Shaddai. Uh, but what is it connected with? What is the use of that title connected with? Yeah, blessing. It's connected with blessing. What kind of blessing? Yeah, fruitfulness, right? Um, the seed blessing in particular, right? And that matches with uh, what this name even etymologically potentially is connected with of uh, fruitfulness, of blessing, of uh, God is blessing you, but he's blessing you um, uh, in a fruitful sort of way. That This word is strongly connected with it. Uh, you can see it again, uh, Genesis 35, 11. And there's more passages we could go to that are beyond the scope, but um, Genesis 35, 11 now it's focus, the focus is pretty much all, is all on Jacob at this point. Um, and this is when God appears to him. Um, and uh, let's start in verse 9, Genesis 35, 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob no longer. Uh, excuse me, your name is Jacob. No longer shall be your, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So again, you see that title is connected with blessing and particularly fruitfulness. Okay? So that's where um, uh, 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 um, some scholars are more saying, you know, rather than calling it almighty, uh, it seems like it, the title is more connected uh, with God's sufficiency and his blessing, right? So you could, you could, I think a decent rendering would be all-sufficient one. Um, and so if we were to just uh, um, take that uh, all-sufficient one, uh, we've already seen some of the aspects of that. How can we take that notional knowledge and transform it into affectional knowledge? As we think about, well, I could call God Shaddai. I know Shaddai. I know El Shaddai. Um, but, uh, okay, uh, what sh how, um, how do I use that name reverently, not mystically, but just reverently? And how do I, how do I transform what God is, um, that notional knowledge of what God is attaching to that name to affectional knowledge? How does that become worshipful for me? Absolutely, right? So we can, uh, uh, you know, in my own life, I I'm, not, I'm, not a um, I'm not a recipient of the Abrahamic covenant directly, right? I have indirect benefit from that through Christ. But, uh, so I could be thankful for God's all-sufficiency in that, even that particular respect. But beyond that, just the sufficiency 
and the supply that God has given me throughout life. He has shown himself to be El Shaddai, God all-sufficient um, for uh, my needs. So you see how this works, right? We get the understanding of the title and what it's emphasizing, and then thinking about, well, how can I think about um, how God has displayed that character that's attached to that title in my own life? You see how that works? Okay, any other questions on El Shaddai? Now, is El Shaddai a title or a name? Yeah, probably kind of yes, right? Um, it, 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 it's still kind of title-like in that, you know, kind of like um, Adonai, where it is uh, expressing something. Um, it's expressing, uh, you know, Adonai is expressing God's lordship. El Shaddai is expressing God's all-sufficiency. Uh, and yet, it does seem like perhaps there's a little bit more personalness. Remember I said I kind of arranged these from more title-like to more personal-like. And this one kind of seems to straddle it a little bit, where it could be considered a name and it could just be considered a title. In any case, we understand what's connected uh, with that. Okay? Questions? So we've got God and his deity, that's Elohim, um, and uh, you've got uh, God Almighty, that's definitely used in the New Testament, Pantocrator, the Almighty One. Uh, you've got God as Lord and Master. You've got God as um, all-sufficient one. Okay, now we get to the granddaddy of them all, and it's God's personal name. Uh, go ahead and turn it. All right, so this one's going to take some work. Um, this one's going to take some work, okay? And I already kind of alluded to some of this last week. So let's just start with a couple things. First, uh, God's personal name is used... 5,800 times plus in the Bible. It is the most dominant name used for God, uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about it um, because you, normally we think of God's personal name as kind of, in some ways, maybe, maybe we think of it mysteriously. Uh, maybe we think there's, um, you know, it's just uh, we're holding it in reverence, so maybe it's not used as much, but actually it's used the most. It's used the most of all the names and titles um, for God. Now, uh, before we go um, and talk about this little table, and you're probably already looking at it, and that's fine, but let's just see where it's first used. Now, that gets tricky, too. Um, where would we look for to see if God's name was first used in the Bible? Maybe. Job. <laughs> Depends on if you believe that Job is the first book written, right, uh, or not. Uh, but... Uh, yes, you could look at Genesis, you could look at Job, you could look at both. It's used in both. It is used in Job 1.6. Uh, so if you go to Job 1.6, just, I just want to show you, like, it shows up really early. Uh, God's personal name shows up really early. Um, so go to Job 1. Okay, uh, Job 1. Uh, verse 6. So I'm going to read that. All right, so there's our capital L-O-R-D, okay, which represents God's personal name, uh, which we'll talk about the whole Lord thing um, in a second, but I just want to show you where it's used. So, you've got the earliest book of the Bible written, at least if um, not everyone agrees to that, not even conservative scholars agree on that, but 
Um, I hold to it being the first book written, so you've got a very early use of Yahweh uh, in connection with um, the, temp uh, the uh, heavenly assembly, uh, you know, happening here in, in Job. Uh, go to Genesis, um, the canonically first book in the Bible, okay, uh, the order that the canon is given, and uh, go to Genesis 2, 4. Someone read 2, 4. Yeah, and we've got our capital L-O-R-D there and our English translation probably, and so that is God's personal name, and he uses it, the writer of Moses, Moses uses it in writing Genesis, okay? Uh, but you might say, oh, okay, that's just Moses, he's using it because Moses found out God's personal name later in connection with the Exodus, and he's just writing, um, you know, the history of Genesis earlier. Well, turn to Genesis 4.1. Let me read Genesis 4.1. Okay. Uh, there, we've got capital L-O-R-D. It's God's personal name. Who's using it? What was it? Eve. Eve. That's as early as it gets. Right? Um, we, um, Eve uses God's personal name. Uh, so uh, people knew God's personal name from the beginning. Okay? And we'll talk more about that and kind of some of the stuff that's said in Exodus later. But um, just to give you an illustration, this name is used early. Um, God um, used his personal name with people, and people used his personal name, uh, or people used his personal name early. Okay? Now, Here's something you might not know. There's actually two versions of the personal name. There is what we call the Tetragrammaton. So you see the upper left corner, so under the uh, heading Hebrew, and you got that, that kind of to the left uppermost cell, um, you've got the four Hebrew characters and consonants. Now remember, you read Hebrew right to left, right to left. So you got to do some gymnastics here a little bit. Um, those are the four consonants that make up God's personal name. Now, here's what you have to understand. When the Hebrew scriptures were originally written, they were written with only the consonants. Everything was written only with the consonants. And then what happened is people just memorized the vowels. They just memorized the vowels to read. So they, it saved a lot of space, right? You can imagine that. Like, if you only got consonants, you're saving a lot of space, and you're just reading along with that, Okay. Uh, so then you've got the English transliteration uh, to the right, Y-H-W-H, okay? Um, now, there is actually a shortened version of God's name. Look at the very bottom row in that same Hebrew column. Uh, and that is the shortened form, Yah, okay? Now, I don't know if you know, English tends to obscure this. Go to Genesis 15, uh, 2. Go to Genesis, excuse me, not Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 15, 2. Now, why am I taking such pains with this? Well, some of it is just so that you understand your English translation a little bit better and where it's coming from. And some of it is just to understand God's uh, 
name a little bit better and uh, what, what is actually there in the text, okay? Um, so uh, Genesis 15, 2. Someone go ahead and read that. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, um, Exodus 15, 2. Okay, so we got another capital L-O-R-D here, uh, except this time, and you can't see this in your English, it is Yah, not the Tetragrammaton. It is Yah, and there the vowels are put in, okay? Um, and uh, this form is not used as often, but it is used, and it is used uh, primarily in poetic texts. When it is used, it's used in poetic texts. Um, so you'll see this in the Psalms. In fact, you know one of the things where it shows up in one of the Psalms. Hallelujah. And uh, what does hallelujah mean? It means praise Yah. Praise Yah. Praise the Lord. But what we're talking about there, that's a use of God's personal name. Um, hallelujah. Praise Yah. Um, and so that is a le totally legitimate uh, way of both seeing and pronouncing God's name. It's a shortened form of the name, okay? So, does that make sense to everyone? Okay. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, no. So, what's interesting is, is that, um, that's a good question, Lance. So, in 15.1, it's the full four-letter form, Okay. But in 15.2, once he, so you'll notice 15.1 is just an introduction to the poem, but once he actually enters the poem in 15.2, he uses the shortened form. So that's why we say it's actually, tends to be used in a poetic, um, poetic text, uh, not necessarily the introduction. What's also very interesting, this happens in Isaiah, is that sometimes you have them side by side. Uh, so like you'll have Yah and then Yahweh right after it. Um, which is just very interesting. I, I, don't, I don't have a full, I haven't looked at those texts uh, enough to say, well, why would you use both forms there? But uh, regardless, the, the, when, when you've got that, like hallelujah, or like in 15.2, that's God's personal name. It's a shortened form, but it is God's personal name, okay? Now, let's talk about pronunciation. So I told you some of this last week, and this is just helpful history for you to know why do we have capital L-O-R-D in our Bible. So let's talk about that. Starting probably in the what we call the Second Temple period. So uh, Second Temple was built by Zerubbabel. Uh, it started to be built in 538. I forget the completion date, but we're talking, let's say, 500 to-ish on. Okay, so 500s B.C., 400s B.C., um, and then on, certainly by the time of Christ that this pattern is complete, the Jews, out of seemingly a desire to protect God's name, uh, got rid of the original vowels, uh, or I shouldn't say got rid of them, they didn't write them. Because remember, um, you, you only have the consonant text, and you just memorize the vowels, and you just read the vowels when you read the consonantal text, Okay. Um, and so um, those, those vowels were not written down, okay? 
Now, the text, the Hebrew text that is behind our Bible is um, produced with vowels uh, about, let's say, 1000 A.D., okay? And what was happening is people were, the, even uh, Jewish people were forgetting their Hebrew, and so a group called the Masoretes decided, let's, let's, help, um, let's help everyone out, and let's put some vowels by the consonantal text so that you can read it. And so if you notice... Uh, you notice at the top left there, it's just consonants, and you don't have any, like, dots or things but above and below. Okay, vowels. So, like, uh, you guys know what vowels are, right? A-E-I-O-U, uh, and sometimes uh, Y. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I'm explaining. That's what I'm explaining here. So, um, you've got your consonants. Just, you don't have to know Hebrew. I'm not te- I'm teaching you Hebrew today. Uh, I'm just telling you that uh, you've got those, um, that, those uh, lines and dashes and stuff in the upper, far upper left corner. And then if you go down, so go down to like uh, a couple cells down, and you get some dots below and above, okay? That's all you need to know, dots below and above, okay? The dots below and above, some of them are vowels, some of them are other things. Um, but at least the ones below are vowels. And so what the, the Masoretic scribes did is they said, oh, let's put some little dots and things to indicate uh, how you pronounce stuff, okay? But by that time, they are um, reverencing and protecting God's name, and so said, we're not going to put the vowels um, for the tetragrammaton in. We're just going to leave the consonants but then we're going to put the vowels for Adonai. And so what they did is they took the vowels off of Adonai, which is another form, and they put them around the consonantal text for God's um, uh, personal name. So what they would do then is when they would see the consonants and even the vowels of, uh, for God's personal name, they would pronounce Adonai. They would not pronounce God's personal name. Does this make sense so far? Clarifying questions up to this point. Okay, so basically what it amounts to is anytime a um, a Jew would read um, God's personal name, they would see the vowels for Adonai, and they would pronounce Adonai. And they would say, my Lord, my master. Okay, that's essentially what they are saying. Okay, now why does this matter to us? Why am I taking such great pains to us? Well, because it has influence in the New Testament and it also has influence on our um, English translations. First, in the New Testament, um, you will see the word kurios, which is the Greek equivalent to Adonai, and that is used in places where we would expect God's personal name. Okay, so even the New Testament writers are using. Uh, the, essentially, they're using Adonai, just in the Greek form, kurios, to refer to that. That's where our English Bibles have the tradition of um, capital L-O-R-D. Because Adonai and kurios, they mean Lord, and so we're just going to do the same thing in English. Except that most um, modern translations are going to try to indicate to you, we're actually talking about God's personal name here, and so that's where the capitals L-O-R-D come in. You can't tell the difference when you're reading it, you know, verbally. You verbally can't tell. If I'm just reading from the pulpit, you can't tell the difference. But in your Bibles, at least the text would um, be, um, you know, your capital L-O-R-D, okay? Now, what about Jehovah? Where did Jehovah come from? Because, uh, you know, if you go back to some of the King James 
uh, and then uh, I think the uh, American Standard Version around the turn of the last century, you would have Jehovah. I mean, you guys have heard that before, right? Growing up in church. So what, where does Jehovah come from? Jehovah comes from taking the consonants for God's personal name, so Y-H-W-H, and then reading with those consonants the vowels for Adonai. So that's where it's a mixture uh, where you get uh, um, Jehovah, Jehovah. Um, You're actually reading the vowels for Adonai with the consonants for Yahweh's personal name. And so that's where you get um, that mixture. It is incorrect. Um, the scholars who were looking at that, they did their best, but they, um, they basically just looking at the Hebrew text and says, well, it looks like it has those vowels, and we'll pronounce it like this. We'll pr- pronounce it like Jehovah. But they misunderstood, it seems like, that uh, they're actually putting the vowels for Adonai just to remind the reader of the Hebrew to pronounce Adonai. Okay? Yes, Susan. Uh, well, so th- there's enough. Uh, th- there's enough. Both. Uh, well, for one, you can see the vowels. That uh, so, if you just have the vowels, like um, you can't see it very well on that form. I wish it was bigger, but here. Um, but on that form in the upper, or not the upper left form, but the form by Adonai, um, it has the vowels for Adonai, so they match exactly. Okay, so that's one thing. And also, if you put the vowels for Adonai on the consonant, it's an unpronounceable Hebrew form. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and that just is an indicator, a clue, to the Hebrew reader. And then there's other extra-biblical evidence for that as well. Okay? Yeah, good, good, good question. Okay? Um, now, where it gets really complicated, and I was doing some of this last week, is in your English Bibles... Well, what if you have Adonai and God's personal name happening side by side, which happens a lot? Well, if you were to actually pronounce it, it would be Lord, Lord, right, if you followed the convention. Well, instead of doing that, and this goes back to the the scribes, they said, well, let's just pronounce Adonai Elohim. Let's just say Lord God instead. And that's what happens, and that's what happens in your English Bibles as well. It's following that same convention. So, when you have uh, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, and uppercase g-o-d, then that uppercase g-o-d is, reference, uh, is saying, yeah, uh, God's personal name is behind that. Does that make sense? So, it's not just capital L-O-R-D, but if you've got a capital G-O-D, that's God's personal name behind that. But it's following the Jewish pronunciation convention. Okay? Uh, it gets even worse. <laughs> Uh, what? Wait, there's more. Um, often in the Hebrew text, you will have God's personal name next to Elohim. So you'll have Yahweh God. Um, and, uh, and, and so then what they would do, following convention, they would pronounce Adonai Elohim. But now you've got capital L-O-R-D first, and then uppercase G, lowercase O-D. So it's all pronounced the same, but it, the behind it is all something different. This gets really complicated, right? Um, and, uh, but, again, you can see how this has impact on how you're reading your, your English Bibles, okay? So, when you're reading your English Bibles, and you see capital L-O-R-D, or you see capital G-O-D, that means that God's personal name is sitting behind that. 
So that's what I want you to mainly take away. I wanted to give you some of the history, like where did all this stuff come from, right? To give you a brief overview of that, um, but also um, uh, to, to know as you're reading your English Bibles what's going on with those things. Okay, what questions do you want to ask or clarifications? Yes, uh, Vicki. Yeah, so basically it seems like from what I've understood is when you've got translators, you know, whether it's King James or even like something as recent as the American Standard Version, which was around 1900, is what they did is they took um, the consonants of God's personal name. They saw that the scribes had written around those the vowels for Adonai. And so they read the vowels of Adonai with the consonants of uh, God's personal name. And that's how you get the form Jehovah. Um, and so it's a misunderstanding of the reading tradition. So I would say, yes, Jehovah is incorrect. Um, so, yeah, Susan. Actually, we do, um, uh, in the sense, not of like the manuscripts for scripture, but in terms of inscriptions and things that we found archaeologically, okay? So there are, um, and this is fun, like doing all this research, like there's like, um, there's all this, there's inscriptions that go back to, I think the earliest one was in the 800s BC that we have. And it has the consonants, because everyone, like, it was, it was normal to just have a consonantal text and no vowels. But at least from the consonants, you can tell that there is, um, uh, that it's, you know, it's, it's God's name. Now, as far as the pronunciation, <laughs> that gets more tricky, <laughs> okay? That gets more tricky. Okay, here's one thing we kn I think we can say for certain. The first vowel is A. How do I, what's that? How do I know that? Because of Yah. Yah is in the Hebrew text. It has the vowel. It's always certain. So I know the first vowel is, Yah, uh, is an A. Okay? Now what about the whole Yahweh thing? Okay, now go to your next slide. Okay, so uh, where did Yahweh come from? Right? Where did this form Yahweh come from? Well, it came from... Uh, smart Semitic studies guys um, around the turn of, let's say in the 1920s. 1920s, archaeological finds, uh, smart Semitic study guys, they said, well, because um, God ties his personal name with Exodus 3, 13 through 15, when he says, I am who I am, and, and that sort of a thing, well, then Yahweh must be a verbal form. And so they reasoned that then the form um, has to be, as you see it, Yahweh. Uh, and essentially that's a verbal form, they argued, both in the, the 20s and then one of the first guys, this, um, students um, in the like, 50s or 60s, uh, argued the same way. And um, he, he, essentially that is a verbal form that means something like he causes to be. He causes to be, okay? But... Uh, more recent scholars are disputing that. So they're disputing Yahweh now, that that was actually the pronunciation. Um, there are at least a couple other forms that um, I have looked at this last week. 
Uh, one sounds the same in English, Yahweh, uh, but it means something slightly different. It's an older verbal form, and it would mean something like he is, he will be. Okay? So very similar, um, regardless. That's one other oper- uh, 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 option, alternate. Now, here's the most interesting one. Uh, you know my name is Christopher, right? You'll, you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. Um, what, does, what is part of my name? Christ. Uh, in fact, that's what Christopher means. It's essentially a Greek um, construction meaning Christ bearer. Okay? But what's interesting about that is Christ's name gets fossilized in part of my name. Well, the same thing happened in Hebrew. Okay? So uh, you've got a couple instances of this. Um, go to number, well, you've actually got a lot of instances of this in the Hebrew Bible, where people take names that have God's personal name in their name, and that gives you some clues as to how it was originally pronounced. So go to, um, uh, go to Numbers, go to Numbers 13, 16. Now, you're not going to see it immediately, but we're going to go ahead and read the verse. Numbers 13, 16. Okay, now what I want to draw your attention to is Moses changing Hosea's name. His original name was Hosea, and he changes his name to Joshua. Uh, in Hebrew, you could pronounce it more Yehoshua. And that the prefix on Joshua's name is God's personal name. But what is it? It's Yaho. Yaho. Uh, you can see another example of this. Go to Isaiah 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, Isaiah 1.1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, I want to draw your attention to Hezekiah. Anytime you have something like an ayah on the end of it, that's usually, that's usually indicating God's personal name. So actually, Hezekiah's name, if you were to be, want to pronounce it like the Masoretes, it was Yehizekayu. Uh, and on the end, you have the form of God's name, and it's Yahoo. Yahoo. So, um, and that's pretty consistent. And there's even extra biblical evidence that that is a pronunciation of God's name. I can't get in, you, into all the. the, the I'm, I'm taking you as far as I dare, as far as all the nitty gritty details, all right? Um, but that's where the last line there, an alternative proposal, uh, it's possible that there were two forms. We've already seen there was a short form, Yah. Uh, it's possible that there were two forms. One, Yahoo, which gets encapsulated into uh, personal names, like Hezekiah, uh, Hezekiah, Yahoo, Yahoo, sorry. Um, 
and then the full form with the four consonants, Yawa. I don't know if that's 100% cor um, correct. Like I said, there's arguments about this, there's dispute. The other piece of evidence for that last form is we do have Greek transliterations of God's personal name, uh, and some say Yahweh, Yahweh. So Greek doesn't have a ya, a ya sound, so it uses an I instead. Kind of like, uh, I think Latin does the same thing. Um, and so uh, they would, uh, they, there's examples where it says Yahweh, which would sound like Yahweh. But there's also earlier and even more examples of Iyao, Iyao, which would fit with the Yahoo um, or Yahuwah um, theory. Okay? Now, yeah, go ahead, Julie. Well, yeah, so like Jesus' name, right, is, and you can actually um, see this in Matthew, right? He says, you should call his name Jesus for what? He will save his people from his sins. But the form Jesus is actually, that's where you would, um, it's actually the same uh, Greek form of the word for Joshua, and Joshua means Yahweh saves, right? But what's interesting is uh, in Matthew it says, he will save his people from their sins, and probably referring, it's referring to Jesus, but indirectly referring to Yahweh, right? So even then, you've got an early form there. So yeah, this is connected with um, even the name Joshua um, slash Jesus, okay? Uh, Susan, you had your hand up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a common name. And, and it was very common, as we've seen even in the Old Testament, to have a form of God's name, personal name, in the name itself. Just like I have Christ's name inside my name um, in that sense. Okay? Now, here's the question you should all be asking. What does it matter? Uh, that's the question you should all be asking. What does it matter? Now, we want to be reverential of God's name. And we want to be as accurate as we can. However, there is uncertainty concerning some of this. Even with the word Yahweh, which is the scholarly consensus. The scholarly consensus right now is that you should pronounce it Yahweh. Seems like some other scholars are challenging that. Does God, I'm going to say it kind of flippantly, but I hope you know that I'm not. Does God care if we mispronounce his name? Is it a microaggression? Wow. Um, uh, okay. He knows our hearts, and that's the thing. But even in the New Testament, even in the New Testament, when Jesus, you can see a couple examples, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he'll quote Old Testament texts that use the personal name of God, and he'll use kurios. He'll use Lord. And so if anyone should know, Jesus ought to know, like, whether... Uh, he, you know, there's a big concern about this, okay? So I don't think so. So I think it is totally legitimate. Uh, I think it's confusing, but I think it is t legitimate for, you know, the English translation to say capital L-O-R-D, because Jesus basically does the same thing. Um, on the other side, I think it's fine to say Yahweh. 
um, and I'm probably going to continue to say that. I've got a couple, there's a couple translations out that are transliterating that into the text. The Legacy Standard Bible, the Lexham English Bible, they're doing that. I think that's helpful, actually. Um, but maybe it was um, Yahweh and not Yahweh, uh, potentially, or Yahoo. Uh, but uh, I'm not con- too concerned about it because I'm still referring as best I can to uh, the one true God. And it's less about the form and pronunciation of this name. Now, God gave this name for a reason, but it's more about what God's going to attach to that name in terms of his character. And that's what we're going to talk about next week is, okay, we can talk about the pronunciation of God's name, but what does God attach to this name in terms of character, which is what we'll talk about from Exodus next week, okay? Uh, Now, Genevieve, I think you had your hand up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I think the only thing that we've talked about today that would be excluded would, I would say, don't use the form Jehovah, Uh, um, just because it's an error, right? But um, we want to be as accurate as we can be, right? Um, But at the same time, like, it's, this is, I don't want you to slip into mysticism, because that's what the Jews did, right? They slipped into mysticism. Um, this isn't mystical. This is just trying to be accurate, right? Um, and so what do you address God as? Address him as father. Address him as Elohim, if you... I mean, you don't have to use the... Just address him as God. Don't, don't even use the Hebrew transliteration. It's fine, right? Um, use, um, use God. Use um, Lord. Use master, if you want to. Use... Um, uh, all-sufficient one, almighty, um, use, um, you, use Yahweh if you want to, um, but uh, I don't want you to go mystical on this, because that's the wrong approach, right? Um, it's the God who's there. It's the God who is. He gives us titles and names by which to call him so we can rightly address him, but some of those, just because of history um, and the um, fallen human being obscuring um, some of his name, right? Um, at least some of this we're a little bit um, uncertain on, okay? And that's okay, because I think what we see in Jesus, you know, with Jesus doing in the New Testament, he's calling God's personal name, he's using kurios, he's using Lord, and that's a fine way to, to do it, okay? Does that help? Okay, uh, I'm gonna, I know some of you still have questions, and that's good. Um, I, Again, part of this is history, so you understand your English Bibles better, and you understand the history of them better, but part of this is also just priming us for the real meat that we're getting to, um, and which, Lord willing, will be next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have given us titles and names to call you that give uh, some indications of your character, and yet what you explicitly say about yourself and your character and your actions gives us far more information, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are almighty. We thank you that you are the supreme God. We thank you that you are Lord, and we thank you that through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we can call you Father. We praise you and give you great thanks. Uh, We pray for this morning as we prepare for the gathering here shortly that it would be a blessing um, and that you would be honored. In Christ's name, amen.